Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. This week we're going to talk about something that I believe is maybe one of the most difficult things we're going to see in this sermon series. One of the most difficult things we're going to face simply because of the culture we live in and because of what the world says is contrary to what we're going to study this morning. And so I believe that there's a clear path to knowing the will of the Lord. I believe there's a clear path to delving into His grace and into His mercy. And so today together we're going to continue that journey into the unknown. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We'll be focusing this morning on verses 31 and 32. And I want to give you a little bit of background of the book of Mark before we delve into this passage of Scripture. Christ, at this point in the gospel of Mark, has been doing some incredible things. He's been healing people. He's been causing people that are blind to see, people that can't walk to walk, people that that are deaf to hear. He's raised people from the dead. He's done incredible miracles. And so because of the things that Christ has been doing... Because of all the miracles, because of the great accomplishments that he's made, there have been large groups of people that have followed him. So if you study the life of Christ, you see that this number kind of swells and balloons, and more and more people want to hear from him, more and more people want to see his miracles, more and more people want to be a part of what he's doing. So we arrive in Mark chapter 6 at verse 31, understanding that Christ has done some amazing things, and there are lots of people that are following him to see his miracles. That's important. Now look at verse 31. Mark chapter 6, I think we've got the passage of Scripture on the screen. There it is Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going. There's the picture of all the, kind of the buzz around Christ. Because so many people were coming and going, they did not, this is Christ and his disciples, they did not even have a chance to eat. See that? See what's going on here? So he said to them, Jesus says to the disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now verse 32. So they, these are the disciples, went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now this idea that I'm going to give you here in just a second is going to be focal. It's going to be foundational for us this morning. It's going to be the focal point of what we want to talk about. It's going to lead us into a better understanding of this walk of knowing Christ more. But there's a central truth I want you to get. There's a central truth I want you to understand this morning that everything else will build upon. And here's that very simple truth. In our journey to know God more deeply, our busyness must be balanced with solitude. Let me say that again. In our journey to know God more deeply, our busyness must be balanced with solitude. Now, in case you haven't figured this out, our world seems to get busier and busier and busier. I have four young children, and we're kind of just getting into this phase of life where it'd be very easy for us, if we chose to do this, to become involved in so many different activities that every night of the week we'd have something different to do. It wouldn't be a stretch for our family if we chose to do this, to have enough activities that on Monday night we were gone, on Tuesday night we were gone, Wednesday night we have church, Thursday night we were gone, Friday night some other activity, Saturday morning practice or some sort of a ball game. It'd be very easy for us as a family if we wanted to, to become so busy that we're never at home, that we never spend time together. So I started thinking about the idea of busyness this week and related to this passage of Scripture. And I found some statistics that I think are very interesting I'd like for you to hear. In June of this year, just last month, 
A survey was conducted that found that 67% of Americans say they are too busy to take time off from work this summer. 80% of Americans say that they don't actually stop working when they leave work. They continue to check emails, they make business calls, sometimes they even work from home. 44% of Americans call themselves workaholics, and my personal favorite, 45% of Americans sleep with their cell phones turned on beside their bed because they don't want to miss a call, they don't want to miss a text, they don't want to miss an update. And by the way, let me just step aside for one second and say this. I think, and I, I think I'm fair to say this, that we've reached, if we're not already there, we're very quickly reaching an epidemic of cell phone use and screen use. We have a saying in our family, no more screens today. No more screens. If it has a screen, you can't use it. And I think if we're not careful, folks, and you, you, can, you can challenge me on this, but go to a restaurant and watch a family that has a couple of teenagers. See how often that teenager speaks to their parents or to their sibling or to their friend and see how often they spend time on that cell phone or on that iPad. Now, I realize as I look around, there are people using their phones right now to take notes and iPads. I get that. I'm not talking directly to you. I promise. I'm really not. I know there's technology we can use and there's a place for it. And if you're using it for notes, please use it. What I'm speaking about is the epidemic that we find in our society when people are so busy on their phones, they can't communicate with the person next to them. I think that's a problem. 45% of people sleep with their phones on the side of their bed. Three out of four Americans feel stressed at work. The average... Work week, listen to this, has increased 31% in the last 40 years. That means we're working 31% more than we did in the 1970s. Carnegie Mellon did a study on stress related to work, and they found that the stress level for women is up 18%. The stress level for men is up 24% in the last 25 years. And then the Mayo Clinic did a study on the danger of working too much. Here's what they found. Stress caused by a busy lifestyle can lead not only to physical side effects such as high blood pressure and diabetes, but also to behavioral issues such as social withdrawal and irritability. Dallas Willard, who was, he recently passed away. He was a professor of philosophy at USC out in California. But Dallas Willard was also a believer and wrote extensively on spiritual disciplines. He wrote a lot about the idea of solitude. And in one of his books, he wrote about an experiment done with mice several years ago. And here's what he said. A researcher found that when amphetamines are given to a mouse in solitude, it takes a high dosage to kill it. Give it to a group of mice, and they start hopping around and hyping each other so much that a fraction of the dosage will be lethal. In fact, a mouse given no amphetamines at all and placed in a group that's on the drug will get so hyper that in 10 minutes or so it will be dead. See, I think sometimes we don't think that the world around us is really affecting us. We don't think that it's really a problem, the busy lifestyle that we lead. We don't think all the things that go on and all the schedules that we have to keep and all the activities that we're involved in, we don't think those things affect us. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, and especially if we look at some of the research, that busyness is causing more of a problem than many of us want to recognize. In fact, busyness has become such a problem in the last several years that a new phrase has been coined to describe it. It's called hurry sickness. Now, there's a definition for hurry sickness. I'd like to read it to you. It's a continuous struggle, an attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or to participate in more and more events in less and less time. Now, we understand the dangers of busyness as it relates to the physical 
walk in our life. It's very dangerous to us physically. We understand, based on all the research, that it's dangerous for us emotionally. But here's the biggest problem with hurry sickness. We may not understand it. We may not fully acknowledge it. But here's the truth. Hurry sickness and trying to do more and more things will affect, eventually, our faith. Here's why. We become so caught up and busy in the rush of the world that we have a hard time seeking the Lord and really growing in our faith. There's so many things that we're involved in. There's so many things that we have to do. There's so many opportunities that we want our children and our family to partake in that we rarely have time to spend alone with the Lord. We rarely have time to seek His will. We rarely have time to try to grow in our faith. John Ortberg, who's written about this idea of hurry sickness and the idea of solitude, he made a very interesting statement. Here's what he said. For most of us, the danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. See, it's not that we're going to set our faith aside. It's that we're going to become so busy we just don't think about it very often. We're going to be so busy that we're not able to focus on the things of Christ. We're going to become so busy we don't find the time to spend in prayer and find the time to spend in biblical meditation seeking the Lord where He may be found. But I want to remind you of something as difficult as this may seem and as it seems to increase year after year, this problem of busyness isn't new. In fact, in our text this morning, Mark chapter 6, it's very interesting what Christ says and what Christ has recognized in verse 31. The Bible says that because so many people were coming and going that they, this is Jesus and his disciples, did not even have a chance to eat. That's interesting to me. So Jesus does something different here. He, he notices what's taken place. He notices the busyness of the world that the disciples are living in. He notices that there's so many people that are crowding around them. They have not even had a chance to eat. And then Christ gives us a very clear message. He gives his disciples this very clear command. And here's what he said. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Here's what Jesus says. You've been too busy. There's too much going on. There are too many things that are distracting us. We need to be alone. We need to step away. We need to take a break. We need to find solitude. That's the word the scripture uses on several different occasions. Now I want to define for you solitude. I think, I think we've got the definition on the screen here. Solitude can be defined like this. Solitude is the spiritual discipline of voluntarily and temporarily withdrawing to privacy for spiritual purposes. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I've kind of got that covered because I spend some time every morning in a quiet time. I spend a few minutes praying or a few minutes reading the Word of God, and that's very important, and you should continue to do that. But the problem with a quiet time time often enough is it's not enough time for us. right? We have a quiet time. We spend a few minutes alone with the Lord, but it's just not enough time for us to really delve into who Christ is. If all you have is a quiet time, that's wonderful, and you should have that, but I'd argue scripturally there's more. You should set aside more time. Some of you are thinking, okay, well, I've got that covered because I take vacation time every year. I've got a certain number of weeks every year that I take, and the family, we go on vacation to Florida, and and I'm able to rest and relax, and that's wonderful, and you should. You should take your vacation, and you should be with your family, and you should find times to rest. But here's the problem with vacation. Vacation isn't designed for spiritual growth, is it? It's designed for rest. 
See, I believe that the teaching of the Scripture is pretty clear here. There, there ought to be times in our life. Bring point, point one back up for me, if you would, please, Stephen. I think there ought to be times in our life when we're able to balance this idea of busyness and the, the, all the craziness of the world with times of solitude where we can get away and we can withdraw and we can think about spiritual things. I was first introduced to this idea of solitude while I was in seminary. I took a class on spiritual disciplines and we read several books and, and one of the things we talked about was what we called a day alone with God. And when you're in seminary and, and you're given an assignment, you kind of have to do it, right? So there wasn't a whole lot of debate about whether or not I wanted to do this. The professor said, you're going to have to take a whole day alone with God and you're going to have to write about it and you're going to turn that in as a grade. And so I kind of figured out when I could do it and I set it aside and I went down to Callaway Gardens and I got on a bike with a backpack and a few bottles of water and a little bit of food in my Bible. And I'll be very honest with you, going into that day, I was a little hesitant. I'd never done that before. And the question I kind of continued to ask myself was this, what am I going to do for eight hours? <laughs> I'm not going to be around anybody. I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to be able to do the normal things that I do. And if you're like me, I've kind of got a to-do list and a schedule, and I'm kind of working through that schedule and that to-do list during the course of the day. And I thought to myself, if I don't have that, if I don't have some sort of a schedule, what am I going to do for eight hours? I was amazed at how the Lord spoke. I was amazed at what, what getting away from the, the noise and the, and the clutter and the, the busyness of the world allowed me to do. I was amazed at how the Lord spoke to me and, and gave me clarity about what He wanted me to do and the direction He wanted me to take. But if we were, we were honest with each other, if we were honest with each other about this idea of busyness and about this idea of kind of this hectic life, if, if we were going to be honest and truthful with one another, the, the problem is, is we don't do away with it. We don't get away from it oftentimes because we enjoy it, don't we? One writer thinking about the, the busy lifestyle said it like this, as much as we complain about it, there's part of us that's drawn to a hurried life. It makes us feel important. It keeps the adrenaline pumping. It means that I don't have to look too closely at my heart or my life. It keeps me from feeling loneliness. I thought that was interesting. I, I want to ask you a question I want you to consider just for a few minutes. When, when, you, when you arrive in heaven one day and you're greeted and, and Christ comes to you, do you think he's going to say to you, you know, I know you were really busy. I know, I know you had a lot of stuff going on and, and you, you weren't really able to accomplish anything spiritually. You never really grew in your faith, but you sure did check a lot off your to-do list. Well done. You think he's going to say that to you? See, I don't think that's the life Christ has in mind for us. I don't think that's Christ's best. I think that's what the world feeds us. I think that's what the world would have us to do. I think that's what the world believes is right and the way we should live our lives. But I think if we're truthful with ourselves, if we examine the truth of Scripture, we find that certainly there are times for work and we should work hard and there are things that we have to accomplish. But in the midst of that, we've got to balance it with this idea of solitude. We have to find times to get away from the noise and from the clutter of life. And so I want to spend just a few minutes giving some biblical examples and talking about why solitude is so important. I've got some of these points on the screen I want you to see, and we'll look at some scripture. One of the main reasons that solitude is so important is because, I think we have it on the screen, Christ found time to do it, right? Jesus did it. He's our model. Not only did Jesus find times of solitude, but he spent those times in prayer. And so we see examples like Matthew chapter 14, 
Verse 22 and 23, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside, here it is, ready, by himself to pray. Later that night he was alone. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now see, here's the problem we have with this idea of, of going away or, or, or finding enough time to set aside to, to, to hear from the Lord. The, the problem we have is that sometimes, and we probably would never say this, but in our minds we might think to ourselves, I'm just a little too important to do that. I've got too much to do. I mean, there are too many people counting on me. If I leave, then this person can't do their job, and if they can't do their job, then it affects these And I'm just too busy. I've got too many things going on. It's just interesting to me as we think that in our minds. To recognize that Jesus Christ, now watch this, the Savior of the world, <laughs> the most important person that's ever walked the face of the earth, if Jesus could find time to be alone in solitude, I think we can too. If it was important enough for Christ to set aside the busy routine of what he was doing, if it was important enough for Christ to say to his disciples, well, we hadn't even had a chance to eat you, let, let, let's go be away, let's go find a time of solitude. If it was important enough for Christ to do it, then I think it's important enough for us to do it. See, he understood. He understood very clearly that we need to balance our idea of busyness with solitude. Here's the second reason. It's easier to hear the voice of the Lord when everything else is quiet. And it's hard to hear things when there's a lot of clutter in it. It's hard to focus on things when the to-do list is screaming at us or the boss is screaming at us or the coworker needs this or we've got this appointment, we've got this schedule. We've got, it's very difficult to hear the Lord when everything else is noisy, but when it's very quiet and we're listening for His still, small voice, we hear Him speak. There are a couple of classic examples of that. One of, one of, my, favorites, one of my favorite examples is that of Elijah in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18 and 19. You may remember the story. Elijah is kind of kind of battle the prophets of Baal. You may remember it. So they go up on the mountain and they build the altar, and the prophets of Baal call down the Baal because they want him to demonstrate his power. And they sit there for hours, and these prophets are chanting and they're calling and they're praying, and nothing happens. And they kind of get upset about it, and they kind of ramp up the efforts and scream a little more and chant and sing. They actually cut themselves. Elijah kind of makes fun of them. You remember? He says, "Well, maybe, maybe your God's asleep. <laughs> maybe you need to try to wake him up." And when their time is over, Elijah says, you know what, I want you to take water now. Here's the altar with the wood and the bulls. I want you to take water, and I want you to dump water all over this altar. And there's going to be so much that's going to be just soaking wet. It's going to run off, and we're going we're to dig a trench around it so all the excess water will run off, and it'll fill this trench. And then the Bible says that, that Elijah called down to the Lord and fire came from heaven. You may remember the story. And the Bible says that it consumed the altar and all the water and everything in the trench around it. And it just destroyed everything. And the people saw and experienced the power of the Lord. But do you remember what Elijah did after that? It's kind of interesting. The Bible says there's a period of time that the Lord came back to him a second time. And he touched him and he said, he's speaking to Elijah, get up and eat. For the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and strengthened by the food. He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. Now watch this. Then he went into a cave to spend the night. So see, he's alone now. He's just experienced the power of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. He's seen the, 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 the work of the hands of the Lord destroy this altar. 
Now he's alone with the Lord in verse 11. The Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. You may remember this story. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. You see, it was in that very moment, in his aloneness, in his solitude, in his silence, the Lord spoke. Moses in Exodus chapter 24, we we, kind of get the same sort of picture. Moses has led the children of Israel into the wilderness, out of Egypt, and He's trying to get them to the promised land, but the, prom- the problem with these people is that they're complaining, right? They're, they're crying out, and they're upset with Moses, and, and they beg him to take them back to Egypt, and they just continue to go on and on and on, and the, the cries from these people are certainly a distraction for Moses. And so when the Lord wants to speak to Moses, he does something very interesting here. Exodus chapter 24, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, And 70 of the elders of Israel, you are to worship at a distance. So the Lord says, Moses, you you bring the leaders and the elders with you. You come up to the edge of the mountain. You worship at a distance. But now listen to verse 2. But Moses alone is to approach the others. Excuse me. Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. Verse 15. When Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered in the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud to the Israelites. The glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain. He stayed there for 40 days and 40 nights. Now watch this. Moses is alone. He's in solitude. He's gotten away from the clamor of the people. He's gotten away from the busyness of life. He's gone up on a mountainside for one very clear reason, to hear the Lord. It was during those 40 days that the Lord gave him the law and, of course, the Ten Commandments. And he spoke to Moses in, in ways that Moses probably never fully even understood. It's amazing to me we see this pattern of Scripture over and over and over again. When you need to hear from the Lord, you need to get away to a place of silence. When you need to hear from the Lord, you need to find solitude. When you need to hear from the Lord, you need to kind of separate yourself from the things of the world so you can see him work very clearly. I always enjoy speaking to people that have come back from mission trips and some of you have had the opportunity over the years to do that. And we had a group just return from Zambia and I heard the same sorts of stories from those people. But here's what you hear and here's what you experience. When you go into the mission field, you begin to see the Lord work in very powerful ways. And you comment to one another on the team. I, you know, the Lord's just doing some neat stuff and he's speaking to my heart or you see him speaking to other hearts or you see him leading people and, and People being saved and you see just the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and you begin to talk about that and you begin to ask yourself, what's different? Why is it that I can see the Lord working in a remote village in Guatemala or why is it I can see the Lord working in Zambia or why is it I can see the Lord working in Romania but I can't see him working here in my own town? Here's the problem. As you think through it a little bit more and you try to understand it a little bit more, here's the conclusion you arrive at. It's not that the Lord's not working here. It's that we're so busy we don't see it. You understand that? We're so focused on so many other things we can't see his hand at work. 
It's amazing when you separate yourself from the world and you intentionally find times of solitude when you can be alone and listen. It's amazing how he will speak. I'm doing something a little bit different this summer, and I'm going to ask you specifically for your prayers. It's actually in our prayer guide here in a couple of weeks, but I've, I've just been led the last several months. Of, I've, I've just kind of prayed through and thought through and, and trying to seek the Lord. I've just kind of been led to, to take a few Sundays off from preaching. And so I'm going to preach this Sunday, and then I'm going to preach next Sunday, and then I'm not going to preach for three Sundays. David Aiken will be here. Randy will preach one Sunday. Philip will preach one Sunday. And I'm not doing that because I need a break. I'm doing that because I'm going to spend those hours instead of sermon preparation those week. I'm going to spend those hours in prayer and solitude seeking the Lord. I just feel like if I'm going to hear the Lord speak clearly, I've got to separate myself from the things of the world. So there's some members of our church that have been gracious to me and given me a location I can go to that's kind of away from everything. You're not going to happen upon this place. I'm going to be there alone during the day, and I'm going to spend all week in prayer and all week in solitude and seeking the Lord. I'm going to ask you to pray for me because I want to hear the Lord speak. I want to hear what the Lord has to say. I want to hear how the Lord wants to guide me and specifically how he wants to guide this church. But I'm just very aware the more I study Scripture and the more I read these accounts, it's going to be awfully difficult for me to hear from the Lord when I'm surrounded by everything else and all the noise and all the clutter and all the things of life. And so I'm going to take two weeks of solitude, basically. And I'm going to spend time in prayer seeking the Lord. I'm going to ask you to pray for me and lift me up that the Lord would speak through me and give me clarity and give me understanding as we move forward. But we see this pattern of Scripture, and I'm going to encourage you to kind of fall somewhere into this pattern of Scripture over and over and over again that we need to find solitude. We need to find times away. Here's the third thing I want you to see this morning. Times of solitude help us express our trust and our faith in the Lord. Times of solitude will help us to express our trust and our faith in the Lord. It's very easy for us to talk about wanting to get away. It's very easy for us to talk about taking time off from work. It's very easy for us to talk about days of solitude. But the moment you actually take time off from work, you know what you do? You demonstrate to the Lord that you trust Him. Lord, I trust you enough. I've got all this to do. I've got all these things to accomplish. But I trust you enough, Lord, that I'm going to set all those things aside for a period of time because I want to hear from you. Psalm chapter 62 gives us a, a real interesting picture of David. David speaks in Psalm 62 of kind of his place in silence, waiting for the Lord. Verse 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. So there's this idea that I'm anticipating the Lord. I'm waiting to hear from the Lord, but I'm doing it in silence. And as you begin to read through Psalm 62, you recognize that when David finds a place of silence, when David finds a place of solitude, he begins to reflect and understand exactly who the Lord is. And so he begins to see the Lord in a different light. And so he says in verse 2, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. He goes on to talk about the fact that he will not be shaken in the Lord's glory and his mighty rock and my refuges in God. And here's the thing about the Lord. The Lord is always those things. He's always our salvation and our fortress and our rock. But I think sometimes we're so busy we don't recognize it. David says, I'm going to get away. I'm going to find a place of silence. I'm going to find a place of solitude. And Lord, I want you to speak to me in those moments. Our, our time's running short this morning, so I want, to, I want to finish up. I want to kind of wind this thing down by giving you a few practical steps for solitude. We've seen the importance of it. We've seen the fact that Christ did it. We've seen examples of it. We, we've seen why we need to spend time alone. I want to give you a few practical steps for solitude. Here's the first one. Number one, solitude must be done alone and in a quiet setting, specifically for spiritual reasons. If you're going to practice this discipline, if you're going to practice solitude, you need to do it alone 
You need to find a quiet place, and you need to do it for spiritual reasons, whether that's prayer, fasting, meditation. You need to find time where you can focus on the Lord. Here's the second thing. You need to put on your calendar times of solitude. If you're like me, I work off a calendar and a schedule, and I tell my wife, we have a calendar that we share. I tell her, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist in my mind. And I, and I, don't, I don't try to be rude about that. I just If it's not on the calendar, I forget about it. And so I put things on the calendar that are important that I need to do. You need to put this on your calendar. You need to give it the highest priority, as if it were an important job interview or an important conversation you're going to have with an associate or some sort of important meeting you're going to have at work, whatever that looks like for you. You need to put a time of solitude on your calendar. Now, for some people, it may be a few months, uh, a few minutes every morning. It may be an hour or so once a month. I want to encourage you. Here's the way I would encourage you to do it. Here's the way I've done it. You need to take a time of solitude one day out of your work schedule a couple of times a year. So you pick one day or maybe you pick two days kind of spaced out at some point in the year and you need to take a time alone with God. So you say, you know what, this day, at this point on the calendar, I'm going to set this day alone for God. I'm not going to go to work. I'm going to turn my cell phone off. I'm not going with anybody. I'm going alone. I'm going with the express purpose of seeking the Lord, of praying. And I'm going to spend an entire day alone with the Lord. Here's the third thing. You need to plan your time. Not only does it need to be spiritual, not only do you need to be alone, not only do you need to put it on your calendar, you need to plan it. Think about things you want to accomplish. Lord, I want to spend a lot of time in prayer. Or Lord, maybe I'm going to fast. Or maybe I want to spend some time meditating on the words of Scripture. Or maybe I've got a specific prayer list I'm going to go through. Or maybe there's a a spiritual book that I've been meaning to read a couple of sections of. I'm going to take that book with me and read a few of those chapters. Whatever the case may be, you set aside that time and you try to plan that time out. And you prepare your heart for that day. And then the final thing, you need to find a special place to go. It doesn't need to be the places you've always gone and the things you've always done. It shouldn't be in your living room alone, although if that's the only place you can go, you should use that. But you need to find a time where you can be alone. You need to go somewhere, maybe walking in the woods, or maybe West Point Lake, or maybe Callaway Gardens, or whatever it looks like. You find a, a day and a time where your focus and your intent is to spend time praying, to spend time listening, to spend time reading, to spend time studying, to spend time hearing the voice of the Lord. You know, Jonathan Edwards, who was a famous theologian and pastor in the 1700s in America, and second only to the Lord, I think he was the catalyst for the First Great Awakening in the 1740s. Jonathan Edwards was known to spend time alone with the Lord. So he wrote on one occasion, I rode out into the woods, having alighted or gotten off my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly has been, to walk for contemplation and prayer. He was known to kind of get alone and to spend time praying and to spend time thinking and to spend time walking without anybody else. And you know what the Lord did through Jonathan Edwards? Incredible things. He's known as the greatest theologian America has ever produced. He was a pastor. He was a leader of the Great Awakening. He led literally thousands of people to Christ. And I got a feeling if you asked him, he would say one of the reasons he was able to accomplish this was because he spent time alone with the Lord. He was serious about seeking his face and hearing from him. I, I believe that there is a clear path. I believe there is a clear path to spiritual growth. I believe that there is a path that leads us into a faith deeper and deeper with Christ. I think through prayers of confession. I think through biblical meditation. I think through fasting. I think through service. And then this morning through solitude. Intentionally scheduling times away from the busyness of the world to hear from the Lord. I think if we'll do those things, the Lord will bless us. And I'll promise you this. 
If you do these things honestly, and you set aside time to seek the Lord, and you set aside a day of solitude where you can pray and spend time with Christ, I promise you this, you won't be disappointed. Because if you'll do these things, the Lord will bless you. And I believe that through His grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and working in our lives, He's going to allow us to complete our journey into the unknown. And He's going to allow us to experience Him on levels that we never imagined for His honor and for His glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the clarity of Your Word, Lord. We thank You for the teaching of solitude, Lord, and the example that Christ showed us, the example we see in other parts of Scripture. Lord, I, I just pray you give us the strength to do it, Lord, to seek you, to know you, to, to intentionally set aside times to hear from you, Lord. And I pray when we do that, that you would bless us in a mighty and powerful way, Father. Just be with the people of this church, Father. Be with us as we try to walk down this path of righteousness, Lord, into the unknown, into areas that so many people are unfamiliar with. But I pray that as we do that, Father, you would help us to grow. You would help us to seek you. You would help us to become the men and women of God you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.